I grew up in a time when cars were changing from clunky blocks of iron into sleek, colorful machines. The engines would roar right off the showroom floor, back when you could buy a Mustang or a Corvette and hit the streets thinking you were Mario Andretti or Richard Petty. As a kid, I watched movies and I knew exactly who I wanted to be and what car I wanted to drive. You see, growing up in the Los Angeles area, your car was who you were in life. It was a beautiful time for the automotive industry, but the age of computers and big government was about to change everything. All right, let's do it. Making plans with the boys. Another wonderful podcast is upon us. No, I'm not sitting here with a to-do list and checking things off as I go. No, 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 no. These are one of the things we look forward to. Do you know why? Because they haven't banned me from my podcast yet. That's right. I can say what I want, and I haven't got yelled at by anybody but my wife. Ah, the good old days when you could say things that you felt and feel things that you said. Not anymore. So today's topic, as you heard the intro, was cars. I wanted to say couple silly things right off the get-go about that. Do you know that um, they could build a car, and by they, I mean car manufacturers, uh, they could build a car that would last a million miles. They could. They've talked about it. They could make uh, cars that would last a million miles, just have some oil changes and a little bit of maintenance. Now, you need tires, of course, and brakes would wear out, but they could build cars that would not wear out. They would go a million miles. Now, why don't they? If that's true, which it is, but let's let's assume we're exploring the possibility. And let's say Toyota and Ford would come up and say, sure, we could build a car that goes a million miles. Why would they want to? Well, the only reason that I could think that they would want to do that is that you would buy, if Ford was the first car company that came out and said, we just built a car that'll go a million miles and you have to do a little bit of maintenance as you go and every part of it will last forever. No broken hoses, no oil leaks, no fuel leaks, just drive it. Well, a lot of us would buy that car because <laughs> it wouldn't last forever and we could just leave it in the driveway. All we'd be responsible for is turning the key and driving it, pointing it where we wanted it to go. Well, that's great. But then once Ford sold every American uh, that car, who's going to sell cars the next year? Even Ford wouldn't be able to. Not very many. Everybody bought a, a brand new million-mile car. So pretty soon all the other car manufacturers would go out of business because everyone's buying the Ford million-mile car. Pretty soon Ford would go out of business because they've, they can't just keep selling them. There's not enough new customers out there. Eventually, they'd suffer. All right, well, let's back up. All right, let's not make a car that goes a million miles. Let's keep it simple. Let's just say, let's put a water pump on a car that goes a million miles. Let's, let's not re be replacing water pumps. Surely, you could build a water pump that would last forever. Yeah, they can. 
there isn't one part on those cars that they couldn't make last forever. Now think about the consequences of what happens then. What about all the parts manufacturers, all the truck drivers that deliver parts? Everybody you know that works in the automotive parts industry, gone. Because eventually all the old cars are gone, the million mile cars exist, and they don't ever need work. Mechanics losing their jobs. Think of all the manufacturing that goes into building those parts, gone. Think of all the tax revenue for each state and county, gone. So, sure, they could build a million-mile car. Why would they? It'd ruin everything. Yeah, it'd ruin everything fast. Within 10 years, we'd be done. No, they build cars knowing they're going to break. Now, they make mistakes sometimes, and things break sooner than they should. Yeah, that happens. But they also design things to break. They know when they build a water pump on a car, it's going to last forty to 50,000 miles or whatever the average is. They know it's built into how they're doing it. And they build extras, and they build spare parts, and they train mechanics on how to replace them. And the world keeps on spinning. So... That, that's one of the most common questions I've ever received as a former mechanic and mechanic is, why don't they just build cars that last forever? Surely, if we can build a space shuttle that's reusable, I'm sure we can design components that are that will <laughs> last through, a, through the uh, California uh, summer and a New York winter. Why not? All right. So that's one of the most common questions. But what are some of the other things that I get asked uh, as a mechanic other than can you please help me with my car? Because <laughs> that's the most common one people want me to help with stuff. But they, we have YouTube now, and there's so many people out there showing intricate details of YouTube, much more patient than I would ever be holding the camera to show where the bolt is and how to get to it. But there's people that do it and praise them for doing it. So Going back, we're not going to build um, parts that last forever. We're not going to build cars that last forever. So we're going to have to keep buying new cars or good used cars as things go on. So the other question I get asked all the time is, what are some of the biggest changes that I've seen in cars? And there's been a lot. Um, a lot of it is dry, boring, inside information that nobody would want to listen to. But I have a few things that you might find interesting from an outside perspective. Um, because cars did change. I mean, let's, let's face it, from the 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, cars were very similar in their size, their weight, their design, the big fenders, the, the, the bold colors, and they all weighed as much as a Sherman tank. Now, when you get into the 60s and the 70s, things changed, but by the 80s, lots had changed. And one of the things I noticed, and I this was brought to my attention um, about that time, right, when I was getting into cars, headlights. Yeah, you wouldn't think headlights would be a big deal. But it was, because if you look back at the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s of cars, and even a lot of the 70s, headlights had to be round, and they had to be so many inches off the ground. So you were designing your car. You were designing your, what year, make, and model was going to come out. The, all the things that were in common was the headlights. They had to be so big around. They had to be so far off the ground. And they had to be pointed a certain direction. We actually had a big tool that we would strap onto the headlight and adjust the headlights to make sure they were level. Most of us just pulled down a garage door, pointed the headlights at the garage door and adjusted until the lights looked right, you know, when they're shining on the wall or shining on the, on the door. But headlights were a big thing. 
And then they changed the rules and said, ah, you can make them square. You can make them rectangular. Oh, people jumped on that. Look at a lot of the 80s cars. A lot of the headlights went to square and rectangular. And eventually, they changed bumpers too. I said, ah, okay, you don't have to have a bumper that can withstand a 45-mile-an-hour crash. Ah, just make it that it'll withstand a, an 8-mile-an-hour crash. Well, now we can cover bumpers in plastic and foam. They don't have to be big metal bumpers. Headlights can be any shape you want as long as they project a certain direction and a certain 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 many of feet out in front of you for a certain distance. Have whatever kind of headlight you want. Well, <laughs> now the artists got their pencils out. They sharpened them up with a big smile because if they can make cars with bumpers that look like whatever they want made out of plastic and foam, if they can make headlights any shape they want, Man, you just opened the doorway. And from the 90s and the 2000s on, everything took on as many shapes as they could dream up. That was a big change in automotive. Now, why was that a, a big thing for a mechanic to care about? Well, um, without getting too technical and dry, imagine an artist for a car has no limits anymore. He can make it any shape and size he wants, yeah, within reason, of course, and he doesn't have to worry about headlights being round and you know 20 inches off the ground or uh, whatever the rule was back then. And bumpers can be integrated into the body as long as they could withstand an eight-mile-an-hour crash. All right? After they design the car and they bring it and say, here's what I want it to look like. Now somebody has to put the engine and the transmission inside of that. They have to make it all fit. Somebody comes up with a drawing and leaves for lunch and says, make it all fit in there. Well, engineers who make them fit inside, they don't care about being able to reach everything and work on everything. All they got, their job is to make it fit inside of the drawing. So they do. And then you buy the car and it breaks down and mechanics have to figure out how to tear the car apart and fix it uh, and put everything back together the way it was based on a guy who drew it and didn't care and an engineer who stuffed everything in there and didn't care. And you wonder why mechanics are angry all the time and why they charge so much. It's not easy. So there's, there's the two things, the two biggest things that I know. And there's more. There's many, many more things, of course. But those were two big influential things, in my opinion. Headlights and bumpers allowed a lot of changes to occur. Yeah. Now, the other thing was, and we mentioned this in the little intro, was that computers came along. Now, I know they had fuel injection of different signs all the way back into the 30s and 40s. I know that things were available. Don't I don't need some fun fact Freddy coming here. Well, you know what you're saying is partially incorrect. Um, fun fact, they had fuel injection in 1932. Uh, uh, a fun fact, uh, there was actually an onboard computer on a car in 1976. You know what? I don't give a shit. Shut up. This is my story. It's my podcast. Just... Let me tell it my way. I don't need you fact-checking every little thing because I didn't get the year and the month right on something. It's a flow of conversation. I'm trying to make it relatable so nobody hangs up on me, which most people already did. All right. So computers come along. And before that, everything ran on vacuum hoses. You picked up the hood of a 1975 uh, LTD2. 
and you couldn't even see the engine. There were so many vacuum lines running everything, vacuum lines going everywhere, pulling open and closed doors, pulling open and closed switches. It was incredible. When they got to computers, uh, by the mid-'80s, wiring was running everything, and not very well. As you can imagine, computers on cars didn't work correctly. They had loose wires, loose grounds, loose connections. The learning curve that we all went through was outstanding, <laughs> let me tell you. Trying to figure out the basics of computers and how it would operate a car. They were on the right track. What a mess it was, I'm telling you. Long gone was the big old fat carburetor that when you buried your foot in it going down the road, you know, you can you can fire up that barracuda and bury bury your foot all the way into the bottom of that engine as you roared down the road and you could watch your gas gauge drop. <laughs> you could see it. That's how much that's how much it pulled through. Well uh, efficiency was the name of the day, and computers were dialing things in. So now you had carburetors that ran on wiring and solenoids clicking under the hood. Yeah, not as attractive as it used to be when the Beach Boys were writing songs about it. Nobody was writing a song about their about their little Dodge Mini Ram pickup that had a, a 2.4 liter engine and it was had a carburetor about the size of your your fist and trying to get the job done. Yeah, those weren't very attractive to write songs about, and they were hard to work on, and they didn't work very well. And again, everybody blames the mechanic, get mad at the mechanic, and we're learning too. Yeah, it's a tough thing. So what were the other things that came about in that time? Well, right about the time that things were getting lighter, aerodynamic, more efficient, and computer technology, the government stepped in and said, hey, we really like that. You guys are doing a great job here. Make things burn cleaner. What? Yeah. We want the emissions to save the ozone layer, and we have a bunch of people behind us, and you're going to... We're going to get rid of all these vehicle smogs by adding as many things on as we can. Here's some restrictions. Go at it. Well, well, they were just learning how to use plastics on cars in the, in the 80s, so everything became plastic and not very good plastic. Cars became lighter. They bogged down and detuned the engine so they could match these wonderful emission standards. And now you're getting cars like the, the Mustang II, the Fox body, these little tiny Mustangs. In the, in the late 70s and early 80s that are just tiny little cars that look nothing like the Mustang of old. And they did it to everything. Challengers became these dorky little cars that were all full of plastic. Everybody went to the fuel-efficient times. In the 70s, they had the gas crisis. That was a big thing, too. Uh, like the world was running out of oil, so we all had this gas crunch in fuel-efficient four-cylinder cars. Um, can you even imagine that? You had these big muscle cars uh, like Mustangs, and you had Barracudas and uh, Challengers, and you had these big trucks, and all of a sudden they're putting four-cylinders in trucks and four-cylinders in sports cars because we're running out of oil. Well, here we are 50 years later, and we haven't run out of oil yet. Isn't that weird? I guess somebody in the government lied, and uh, we all believed it, so we changed. It was terrible. Technology was ruining the government. Their standards were ruining the age of big trucks and big cars and that American feel. Yeah, we all liked getting in those cars, tromping on the gas pedal and that big throaty exhaust coming out the back, and it was leaving. 
all of those cars were leaving. By the 90s, it was hard to get cars and trucks that ran correctly for more than 60,000 miles. We could All of our technology was still on this big learning curve, and everybody's cars were breaking down, and there were still tow trucks everywhere. You, couldn't, you still couldn't get over the grapevine and down in California without uh, seeing 35 to 40 cars stuck on the side of the road or Baker Grade. How many of you guys know Baker Grade coming uh, coming into Vegas in the 15? How many cars have you seen on the side of the road there? It just couldn't do it. It just, the, the restrictions and the limitations and the dialing things backwards, it was terrible. So here we are. We arrive. Now we're coming into the late 90s, the early 2000s, and uh, technology is now getting more reliable and the more reliable, now we're starting to get some of that vehicle performance back. Yeah, import cars are coming in with turbos and high powers, and Honda's making uh, VTEC engines. And there's some stuff that's really happened. Now we're getting back into some of that sports car feel. Well, don't worry. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. The government will be along directly with some new rules and some new standards trying to squash it down. Now, the only thing good about that was... Government always took so long to do stuff that technology blew right past it. They almost didn't care. Government comes in with some, they've been working for six years on some changes. Yeah, fine. That technology had already passed that. Yeah, we can accommodate that, and we're still going to make cool cars. Now, I'm not telling you that today's cars are built better than the old cars. I'm not telling you that it wasn't easier back in 1962 to have a car you could work on on your own driveway with your buddies and having a beer on a Saturday afternoon. I don't think anything will replace that. I really don't. Those are nostalgia days that I would go back to in a heartbeat. You accuse me of living in the past. I say thank you. I like living in the past very much so. What I am telling you is that technology is making things more reliable. There's they, Our technology has outpaced um, what the government regulations are, and so the car you're driving right now is technologically superior to anything that was built last year or the year before or the year before, assuming you're driving a new car. And they're not making a lot of mistakes. A lot of the things, are not, they're not winging it out there. they got some really good products on the road that are lasting a long time. The only problem is, is they now have control over everything in the car. Let me be more specific because this is the part that will really interest you guys. As a mechanic, I have a lot of friends that work at the dealerships, Ford dealership, Chevy, Toyota, Honda. I still know these guys. And they are letting me know very clearly that the dealerships in general are going to make cars, build cars, design cars, and produce cars that nobody can work on but the dealer. Now, there's a lot of, uh, the Independent Garage Association is a very powerful lobby group, and they demand that you, that you as, a, as a factory, provide all the information and all the tools necessary for an independent garage or a person to work on a car. If you want to buy a special tool, they have to make it available. If you want information, they have to make it available. They can't keep it to themselves. That's been proven in court many times over because that'd be the easiest way. Just don't make tools for the general public. Don't give anybody information. All the cars go back to the dealership, which is what they want. All right. So we talked about technology um, outpacing the government, things are more reliable. And we also talked about technology being so far advanced, nobody can work on it. 
You can't work on a new driveway anymore like you used to. Not very easily. Not many things. Oh, a few belts and hoses you can. Maybe you can do your brakes. But uh, a lot of it, you never, you're not dropping a lot of gas tanks in your driveway on the newer cars to put in a fuel pump. No. Well, let's just take Ford, for instance. Ford goes out there and builds nine cars, nine different kinds of cars, and they build seven different kinds of trucks. And out of those 16 vehicles, there used to be, let's just say, um, Let's say they had a power steering pump tool and Snap-on could sell it to you or, or you could go buy one and it would cover all the power steering pumps. You could work on all 16 Fords with the power steering tool. Well, what if Ford builds 16 different types of power steering pumps on all 16 cars? Now you have to buy 16 tools to work on it as an independent garage. Well, that's a lot of money. And if you're only buying it from Ford because there's no universal tool that fits all anymore because they build them all differently. Oh, well, what about water pumps? 16 water pumps, 16 special tools. What about brakes? 16 more sets of tools. What about transmissions? 16 more. Engines? 16 more. Maybe, maybe they're building special tools for every individual car. So each year, as an independent garage, you'd have to spend $100,000 each year, just in tools, just to keep up with everything that's out there. On Ford, what if Chevy did the same thing? What if Toyota did the same thing? What if they intentionally built their cars different in so many ways that you couldn't possibly, as an independent garage, own enough tools to keep up and complete the work on their cars? They're doing it. It's already in the works. They've already started doing it. That's one way to bring all the cars back to the dealerships. Finally, independent garages go, forget it. I quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. They're designing cars that are too difficult to buy the tools for. The technology is becoming more advanced. Do you know that there are cars right now that when you do a tune-up, you have to have a software update? Yeah, so you're going to tune it up in your in your garage like you did back in 1962. You're going to spend a couple hours and a six-pack of beer and $75 at the auto parts store and make it run like a top. The mainly thing, biggest thing you'd need is a timing ladder, a dwell meter. And you spend 60 bucks on tools, you can work on that car forever. No. Now you have to have a $50,000 laptop and you have to subscribe to a $4,000 a year program for Ford, one for Chevy, one for a Toyota, and every time you do a tune-up, your computers on board have to have a software update every time. You're going to do that in your garage? No, you're not. I'm telling you, the people that are, this isn't me talking. I'm not making things up. I'm, I'm just listening. I'm listening to people that are in the industry. I'm listening to people that are at the dealership level. I'm listening to the people that are making these, that are making these decisions and receiving the information. Here's where it's going. Now, you guys haven't been able to work on your cars and your driveway for a long time, so who cares? You like the changes. You love the headlight changes and the design changes with the plastic bumpers. You love everything about them anyway. There's so many gadgets in your car. As long as they work, you don't care. Well, you're going to take it to the dealer. You don't like the dealer. How many people actually enjoy 
going to the dealership with their vehicle. How many of you love taking it there? Boy, that's your first choice. Wouldn't do it any other way. Come on. No, not everybody. Lots of times you don't have that relationship at the dealership like you did at an independent garage, like you, you know, your buddy who owned a shop in town. That's a relationship. That's a friendship. And it's leaving. Now, remember, I'm telling you that places, um, tire centers are always going to have to have tires, have to have some suspension stuff, going to have to have some brakes. Um, there's a lot of tire stores that are going to be okay because they're, a lot of those are going to be so similar that you can buy the tools and do it. But that's it. They're specializing in something. That's going to be okay. I think a lot of those are going to stay, but there's a ton of them. There are dealerships buying land right now so they can build big shops with 75 mechanics because over the next 10 years, everything's going to be coming back there, and the dealerships they have built now aren't going to hold them. And like I said, what does this mean for you? Well, when you have nowhere else to go, you pay their price, don't you? There's not even any competition anymore. And they're playing by the rules. They provide tools to the independent shops. Go ahead and buy them. They provide information to the independent shops. Go ahead and buy them. Well, it's so expensive you can't. So forget it. Well, it's not their fault. They're playing by the rules, but you're back at the dealership. All of us are going back to the dealership. And right now, there's a lot of people catching on to this fact, and they're buying older vehicles. They're buying anything they can get from 2017 and backwards that they can strip the stuff out of them they don't need, that they can work on the stuff themselves. And they're, they're hoarding them. You know, they're, I know guys that buy one to drive, and they, got buy, they buy one and put it on the side of their house for when this one breaks down too bad and they can't do anything with it. Yeah, could be coming. And what's it all for? Do you know that on most cars right now, they're every almost every new car but most cars out there on the road right now that are less than 5 6 years old have 70 to over 100 computers and modules on your car and that's another thing that's really proprietary back in the day if you didn't have something that worked you'd go to a junkyard or get a used part and plug it in oh no 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 even your mirror switches where you adjust your mirrors have their own computer your heated seats have their own module. Your heated steering wheel has its own module. Yeah, every one of them. Module after module, computer after computer, stacked on top of each other. And one more thing, they all have to speak to each other. Yes, all newer cars have to have every module, every computer synchronized and correctly speaking to each other. They're all coded with your VIN number. So if you go to a wrecking yard and you find the exact same car as yours and you want to take out the exact same module and plug it into your car, they don't know each other. They don't recognize each other. They won't talk to each other because they're not coded correctly. They're coded for a different car. So you can't do it. You have to go buy a new one. You have to take it to the dealer. Now, there's a few small exceptions where you can recode something um, but it's not super easy, and you're definitely not doing it in your driveway. So where do we end up with all this? Brand new designs of cars are limitless. The, it's up to the artist. The engineers cram everything in they can 
technology so all of your bells and whistles work, so your heated seats all match, so your glove box lights up with a neon light, even those heads-up displays that they want to project onto the windshield, all the bells and whistles, the sales points, the technologies as mechanics, all the things that can break that you don't have to have for a functioning car. But now you need them. You can't have mirrors that don't work. You can't have headlights that don't work. And everything's talking to everything else. Everything has to be synchronized. Everything has to have software updates. Everything has to have special tools. So you end up at the dealership where they're the only place that can perform these services because they're the only place that are allowed to, can afford to, and are willing to. And therefore, you and I and all of us, we are going to pay their price. Now, one day, we're all going to be shocked on how we got here. And you guys are going to dig up this little podcast from, from 10 years ago. I'll probably be dead and gone and go, holy shit, this was a plan. Oh, no kidding. I'm not some, I'm not some great person exposing some secret plan that I didn't, I didn't catch the owner of Ford twirling his mustache in the corner with his diabolical music playing, stroking his cat with the other hand. No, I'm just a dumb mechanic in the middle of the desert who listens to people smarter than me. Now, what does this all mean? Nothing. Nothing really, because everybody's being conditioned to you drive your car for three or four or five years, and you either if you don't have the money to pay for cash, you finance it, you pay your four or five hundred dollars a month, and you turn it in and get another one for four or five hundred dollars a month. And in four years, you get another one and another one and another one until you end up like my grandparents on fixed income, and they can't afford those prices going up. Every three or four years, they can't afford the repairs. They can't afford a new car payment. Yeah, a little bit different when you're in their position, and lots of people get into that position. Well, why am I telling you all this? What's the point of the story? I could say perhaps there is no point of the story. I could tell you that I'm just giving you information on how the government and technology forced changes. I'm could give you information on how car manufacturers demanded changes. They demanded the, the, the outsides of the vehicles look different and feel different. And now the restrictions of bumpers and headlights are gone. Things are great. Oh, by the way, we know how to use computers. Run a bunch of stuff off computers. Go ahead. Make these changes to sell our cars. Well, they sure put a lot of time, energy, and money into that. For me, avoiding all of this would have been nice with a million-mile car. Remember that back where we started? That would have been nice. But then the dealerships couldn't be building these empires that they're getting set to do. They are going to eventually squeeze out the independent garages. At some point, you're going to be smart to unload your little nest egg onto someone else and collect some money for the building that you're going to have to rent out. It's going to be tough. And uh, the, anybody who asks me that's dead set on working on cars, they have to do it. If they're not going to go into something like a specialty thing, like brakes and alignments and front end and tires, or they're not going to go into custom work, I tell them, join a dealership. Your future is secure. And it is. It's going that way. So me, I'm buying a few old cars. Um, I won't be driving more than 25 more years at the most. 
That's at the outside most. Can I buy a few old pickup trucks and cars that I can make last 25 more years? You're damn right I can. And I will be that old crusty guy at the end of the block that all the kids make fun of going, he drives that. He'd been driving that old 72 pickup since as far back as I can remember. But when I was a young kid, that old man was driving those old pickup trucks. Yeah, I'm going to be the old guy doing that. Oh, partially because I have a nostalgia for the past. Yes. I have a friend of mine who just bought a brand new Porsche. One of the most complicated pieces of engineering out there. A beautiful car. Worth every penny, but I guarantee, <laughs> they guarantee that anything that goes wrong, he's going to be at the dealership, and I think it's $300 before you walk to the door, 500 if you want to talk to anybody, <laughs> and $1,000 an hour. It's a Porsche. What do you want? You know what? Uh, I would never disparage anybody for owning anything. You can own whatever you want. It's your money. It's your happiness, and it's your life. What I might talk down a little bit about is the fact how we're all being corralled in a certain direction to behave a certain way when it comes to our cars our tastes and our likes are all going to end up back at the dealership and because of the computer technology with the bells and whistles we're not going to be able to work on them anymore do you know there's a car out there right now that as you take a spark plug out on the engine when you go to screw the spark plug in that spark plug has to stop facing a certain direction yes that tip of that spark plug as it goes in has to stop clocked perfectly or you have to take it back out put a little shim on it a little spacer a little washer and put it in again and they have to be clocked a certain direction and their engines are different it's true so there's a lot of things that we're, we're way past the point of people being able to do a lot of stuff in their driveway. We are. Even me with all my tools, there's stuff that's beyond my reach by a lot. But I just thought I would share with you some of the turning points, the changes, uh, and how we got here. We can blame a lot of it on technology because the government used that technology and said, wow, you guys are really smart about cars. You're really smart about computers. We want less emissions and higher standards. The automaker said, wow, you're really smart about computers. We want more gadgets on the cars. Make them attractive. Yeah. And when it's all said and done, we're all going to end up back at the same place. I don't know a way around it. If you guys come up with something, let me know. Uh, my answer, along with a lot of Generation X, a lot of older guys my age, like I said, buying a few older vehicles and stacking them on the side of your yard, fixing them up, painting them, making them look good, make sure everything works, and being happy that you're living back in a time in your vehicle that you can relate to, that you can fix, you can work on. That's not for everybody. The other plan is what I told you. Just realize you're going to trade your car in and have that payment or have that you know, $60,000 purchase every three or four years. That's all. Anyway, like I said, I've been asked a lot of questions over the years. A lot of them is about that. Where is the future going? And all I can tell you is where the past has been, a lot of it and how we got here, and what the people at the dealership level are telling me on what's coming over the horizon. Not sure how much this affects each one of you. Some people are going to be not caring because they got a bunch of money. But there's a lot of other jabronis like me that are just sitting here twiddling our thumbs going, now, oh, God damn it, now what do we do? All right, so there's your food for thought. I wish there was something more entertaining about that. I didn't tell you any terrific car stories and fabulous 
terrific odd repairs. Maybe we'll do that next time. Maybe this will be Cars Part 1, which is the reality of where we've been and where we're going by other people's information, of course. And maybe the second one, I'll just sit down and tell you 40 minutes of the craziest car repair stories, and I'll try to describe it on radio as the best I can. Maybe that was it. We'll have one hard-hitting one, and then we'll do a light-hearted one next. All right, so I'm out of here. The music is definitely coming up by now. I can hear it in the background bugging me. This is like the Oscars. They're shooing me off stage, so I'll shut up and leave. But listen, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to us. The bumper music is brought to you by Highway Down. And until they kick me off the air, I'm going to hang out and keep talking. But I promise you this, I'll catch each one of you on the flip side. Mom.